people go to writing because they have a really overactive mind full of thoughts and they got to get the thoughts out and they got and the the dirty secret <laughs> is that they never is, is that they never really get out it's, it's not like a sack of liquid that you just drain and it's done you're actually sort of feeding this overactive mind and it ends up being the only thing you can do to kind of calm your mind temporarily but it's very temporary I'm Dave Buda, and this is Darken the Page, the podcast where I talk to writers about their creative process. Today's guest is Michael Ellsberg, who is the author of three books, The Power of Eye Contact, The Education of Millionaires, and his forthcoming book, The Last Safe Investment. He's someone who has a lot to say about the publishing industry, and we talk a lot about that, including some of the pros and cons he's experienced. One of the things I love about these podcasts is how much I grow as a writer, and this episode was no exception. I got to realize how my constant tinkering with my writing is something I really want to let go of, especially my tinkering of my past writing. So there's more on that in the episode. I also want to say how incredible Michael is at being real and authentic. He dives headfirst into a lot of topics that many people would never share publicly, uh, we talk about drugs, depression, uh, income. We actually talk about numbers and advances and that kind of thing. Um, just an amazing guy. So I, I, I'm really, really excited to bring you this interview. Today's show is sponsored by the Right Now podcast. That's Right, W-R-I-T-E, with Sarah Werner. Sarah has a podcast where she helps writers create more art. And over the last month, we decided to sponsor each other's podcasts. I love what she's up to, and I think you will too. Go to iTunes and type in Right Now, W R I T E, or just look for the listeners also subscribed section when you're at Darken the Page, and you'll see her there. And now here's my conversation with Michael Ellsberg. Yeah, so I'm curious, just a little background on how you got started as a writer, and and now you've, you know, expanded to other things like speaking. And but was writing something that you had loved for your entire life? Um, how did it? Yeah, you know, I, I, yeah, I remember the moment exactly when I took it seriously. Um, uh, and not every creative person has a moment like that, but in my case, I do. Uh, it was my sophomore year of high school. I was at a high school called Deerfield Academy, which is a kind of traditional New England prep school. Oh, yeah. I grew up in and, Manchester, Mass. Yeah, I know Deerfield. Yeah. Oh, okay. So right right in that neighborhood. Yeah. So And there was a competition, um, a sophomore kind of writing competition of some sort. And um, I remember um, the uh, it, I think we were supposed to make a portrait of a, a verbal literary portrait of somebody. That was a competition, and at that time I, I had just uh, come from California, and I was really into surfing and the whole surfing lifestyle. And I idolized this guy who was a couple years older than me and like a much better surfer than me. And um, I made this verb. I, I decided I'm going to win this competition, and I like really took it seriously, and I. I like, you know, tried to like make this as literary as I could. I mean, looking mm -hmm. back, it was probably quite overwrought, but for a sophomore, it was 
I think, pretty good. And I remember that I, um, uh, I, you know, described how this guy was stoned while he surfed, and that was, like, really controversial back then, like, because, uh-huh. A, it was, like, you know, 20 years ago or something, so it was, like, way, like, much less of the kind of legalization. So I remember this one moment. I ended up winning the, um, uh, the competition, and uh, it, from that moment on, I was a writer, and I have always found writing to be both the source of my greatest joy and my greatest frustration. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so tell me about how it's frustrating. Cause you know, one of the things that I think is really uh, wonderful about, about this podcast and, and getting to talk to writers is, is putting everybody on the same playing field, which I think is in a way very inspiring because you realize that there's no good reason to not write. There's no good reason to not create because everybody struggles sometimes. So how does that look for you? Um, yeah, actually, you know, I would, <laughs> I would take a little bit of uh, polite um, difference with the idea that there's no good reason to not write. <laughs> uh, I, I come from a slightly different school yeah. and I, I get where you're coming from with that, but my, I had a writing mentor named Tom Barber, um, who is a novelist and he teaches creative writing at UC Berkeley. And he always tells his students in his incoming writing classes, one of the first things he says is, if there's any way you can avoid writing, do it. Um, he says, mm-hmm. the reasons that you want to write, the glamour, the glory, the money, the fame, are probably not going to come to fruition. Um, and you're probably going to spend enormous quantities of time alone, getting rejected, frustrated, not published, not being able to get the words you want out. And um, basically, you should only do it if you absolutely have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I, I think that's pretty good advice. I think that um, the, really the only good reason to write is that you have no choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's true, that you have no choice, then that's what's going to get you through all the frustrations and all the ups and downs is that you just can't do it otherwise. Every time I try to quit writing, I, I come right back. It's, it's, it's like a heroin addiction, but, uh, you know, somewhat, um, somewhat healthier for your body, but probably just as crazy for your mind. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can, you know, I can relate to that. It almost feels like writing is this, like a sixth sense. And, and sometimes I don't have any other sense. So it's like the only avenue that, that I can understand something or it's the only avenue I can use to communicate something. And it's just kind of my last resort. Like I have nothing else. Yeah. And if it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, um, it, you know, the, the, you know, you ask me what are the frustrations? I mean, it, I think that generally speaking, this isn't, universally true, but it, it's it's generally true. People go to writing because they have a really overactive mind, full of thoughts, and they gotta get the thoughts out. And they got and the the dirty secret me. is that they never <laughs> is, is that they never really get out. It's not like it's it's not like a sack of liquid that you just drain and it's done. You're actually sort of feeding this overactive mind and so it, it's, it ends up being the only thing you can do to kind of calm your mind temporarily, but it's very temporary because the thoughts keep coming right back. And, you know, I, 
just finished writing my third book, my third published book, or will be published. I've written a few that weren't published, thank goodness. <laughs> they were, they were mm. garbage. Yeah. Uh, uh, and I, this writing process killed me. I mean, it was really the most challenging thing I've ever done. I, I don't ever wish to have another creative process like that again. Um, and I was like, I'm never going to write another book, and I'm done with it. I hate books, and da 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 da. And you know, literally today, I'm like talking to my literary agent and coming up with book ideas and you know, researching stuff. And so, um, it, you know, it's it's an addiction, but it's it's one that gives happens to give a lot of meaning to life. Also, mm-hmm. do you feel like part of the struggle is because it enables the busy mind? Like what? What do you feel like is the is just like the ugh the most like the thing you're looking forward to the least in that process? Um, I think the the struggle is that it's you're never done. You're never done. Like it's it, it's so every whenever you're writing a book, if you really care about the book, I mean, if you're just doing doing it, you know, to and you don't really care about it, that's another thing. But if you care about the book, you can always make it better. So you're always choosing between, especially if you have a deadline. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a deadline, it'll never get done. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a deadline. And what a lot of people don't realize is, uh, uh, you know, a deadline is a very arbitrary thing, which makes books very arbitrary. You know, any book could be made better. I mean, Shakespeare's, plays could have been made better if he had more time, I'm sure, you know, and any, anything could be made better. And so then you're always in this process of saying, okay, well, do I go out to dinner with my friends or do I make my book just a little bit better? Well, the dinner with my friends is going to be, you know, it's going to be ephemeral, whereas this book will be, if it's any good, will outlive me for hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, am I really going to prioritize one night of dinner? with friends over like something that could have could last, you know, improve my legacy for hundreds of years. I mean, that's the kind of neurotic. Yeah. That'll not that you right that there. Is, yeah. is, is very uh, common among writers. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like quite a dilemma really. If you let yourself go there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, I'm really curious. And, and, yeah. and, and another frustration um, is that you, you never, quite it's it's just very hard to get uh thoughts expressed the way you want them to it's 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 a it's a it's challenging it's cha- I, I don't you know I, I don't practice another medium so i don't know if it's as hard for painters to get the painting they want exactly right or for musicians to get the melody exactly right but but to to express there's so many different ways you could express something and the thought usually occurs very abstractly in your mind. So you don't, so there's, it's, it's like the, the tyranny of choices. You have, you know, a hundred choices you could make and you can really um, get yourself in a twist about which one to make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I find myself uh, tinkering a lot, especially with um, posts on my blog. And, and I really lately have really love the work that I do as, as a kind of a body of work on my blog, but I find myself going back a couple of years 
and looking at blog posts and and things that I, articles that I'd written and saying, oh, I, I know I can make that better, and then and then tinkering with it. And and there's a part of me that that enjoys that and is totally indulging in it. And there's a part of me that goes, I don't know if this is a good idea. I feel like I could be working on something new, and it's it's tough. It's a really tough balance for me. Yeah, I think generally speaking, looking at your old writing is a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Because I never fail to cringe at my old writing, and I certainly don't spend time trying to correct it or change it. Um, well, I, I'm actually curious about uh, making a living a little bit. This is something we alluded to and in, in before we started recording, and um, you know, when you had you, so you posted something about copywriting that actually really inspired me, um, because I had been kind of dancing around copywriting for a little while and my biggest, um, my biggest reason that I wasn't diving in was cause I didn't feel like I could bring anything new. I didn't feel like I could bring my, um, preferences and personality and my own gifts and creativity to it. Uh, I felt like I would just be like a slave to somebody else's, you know, desires. And and we, what you wrote about about it in a way that it really, um, I saw how I saw the the brilliance in it. Like I saw that this could be a really amazing project, and and I could actually um, let my full creativity come out, and that would be exciting. Um, and so, mm-hmm. and, and also, it kind of it had me go, oh, cool. Like, well, even though Michael's like had these best selling books, like he's still needs to make money like the rest of us like it's not like there's not some sense of like you didn't get welcomed into the gates of like writer heaven you're just like you're yeah it, you there's know. very very few people who make their living purely from writing and i i got you know very i've gotten two six-figure advances now you know low six figures um you know but if you think about it um you know like i i got like for my book that I just finished writing, the last, the last safe investment, um, uh, I initially got the advance myself. I took on a co-author, um, Brian Franklin to, um, to help me finish it. And, and we collaborated, you know, very intensively on it. But the, the first part of it, I got the advance and, um, that was a $200,000 book advance. Now that's for some, at that point, you know, I had a moderate, I didn't have a bestseller. I wasn't famous in a major way. Um, I had a moderate platform, not a major platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and to, so to get $200,000 is a really good advance. I mean, that's very rare to get advanced that large. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that, this book, you know, the, the agent takes out 15%. Um, so that, so you're actually looking at it like 170. And then it's getting paid in chunks. Um, and I basically got 75 to write. Well, the first chunk was, you know, like 70, 75. I got that right away. And then the, the book writing took three years. Yeah. So that's $75,000 to write a book that took me three years to write. Um, I actually honestly had to incur some debt at that point which I'm now, you know, on a balance sheet level, I'm fine because I have money due to me, but on a cash flow level, I actually had to borrow because the cash flow wasn't coming from the later chunks. Uh-huh. So um, anyone who, you know, writing is, is not, uh, I think, 
something one should do. The only kind of writing that consistently makes money is copyright. That's the writing, mm-hmm. and it's it's there's a there's a craft to it. I wouldn't call it art, but um, there's certainly a craft to copywriting. Uh, any other kind of writing, the, the really the there's only two reasons to do it. One is that you have to do it, like I said. Um, and the other is if you have a, uh, and, and it's like it's a calling, it's like your art, and you're just really called to do it. Mm-hmm. And the other is if you have a clear business purpose to write the book that is other than making money from the book. So if you have a business, you know, if you are an architect and you have a, some particular philosophy of architecture and you want to write a book that shows your philosophy of architecture, and establishes your brand as an architecture firm, that's also a good reason to write a book, um, even if you don't make money from selling it. Mm-hmm. And tell me about the other ways that you that you use the writing skills um, to make money. And, and I think this is also really great because I know whenever I hear about other people's ideas and w- what they do, it's sometimes I think, oh, like I could do that. That's actually a great idea. Oh, I could put on a workshop or I could do that. Um, what are the other ways that you use your, your skills? In income generation, um, I mean, as a writer, the, the the most lucrative way to use your writing skills is copywriting, and it can be very lucrative. Um, I I personally know a copywriter who received one million dollars for one sales letter. Now that's he, he's got the top of the game, and I'm not going to say that anyone can just turn around and do that. And I highly doubt that I can do that, but that shows what's possible. Yeah. Um, but much more realistic, uh, any anyone who kind of gets the basics of copywriting down and is willing to do some networking and some selling of their skills could be earning, you know, six like low six figures copywriting. It's not that hard to learn, earn low, low six figures copywriting. If, if you decide to do that, um, the key is that you got to network your way to businesses that need copy. So if you're willing to just, you know, go to conferences or knock on doors or whatever it is um, to find businesses that that need copy. But it's it's a you know it's a very leveraged form of communication because it, the difference if 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 a company is trying to sell something, they could have a great product, and if they're trying to sell it through emails, you know, the difference between mediocre copy and really good copy could be a ten x difference in sales. So yeah. it's very valuable to them to have good copy, and it's and nothing's more frustrating than than not being a good writer and trying to make it good. I mean, it's like it's just incredibly frustrating. Right. It's 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 a skill. I mean, they would they would they wouldn't go and you know try to um, if they're selling you know manufacturing something they wouldn't just like try to manufacture it in their kitchen like without knowing about manufacturing. They would hire someone who knows about manufacturing. Yeah. So copywriting is just like that. You hire a professional who knows what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to ask you, um, when I first met you, I think through two or three years ago, we were at this festival. Um, it was an all-day thing, Tantra Palooza, I think it was at the time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember at some point, um, somebody, I think Kamala Devi, stood up and said, you know, hey, this is Michael. He's a writer, and he's doing a thousand words a day, even at the festival. And everybody's like, "Oh, that's amazing!" <laughs> and and I, and I and it sounded like you probably were on a deadline too, which helped. Um, but what do you have a daily writing habit, or do you do you really work with the deadlines, or 
what, what yeah, yeah i mean that was yeah that was i believe if i recall correctly that was december of 2012 yeah uh does that sound right to you yeah, so was, i was yeah. um i was uh deep in a deadline for this this last book last safe investment um and so when i'm in deadline mode which can be months and months and months like when, or let's just say when I'm in like full gear, like I'm like hauling ass on the book. Um, my the, the the this single piece of writing advice I have, which I follow and which I give everyone else, is that if you want to make progress on a major writing pro- project, aka a book, uh, you've got to choose a word count, and you've got to stick to that word count religiously. I don't care if you're in the hospital on, you know, I don't care if, you know, you're, you're, I don't care if there's a tsunami, you've got to fucking write that word count that day. And the word count to start, I like to get like a starter dose for people of 300 words, which is about one double space page. If you, I mean, if anyone, if you're, if you can't write 300 words a day, you're not serious as a writer. So start with that. And then work your way up. Go to 500, go to 750. I've experimented a lot. I found 1,000 a day is the most I can do sustainably. I mean, I've had like, I've had like, you know, seven or 8,000 word days, which is, you know, that's like, uh, let's see, 10, 3,000 words is 10 pages. So yeah, I've had like 30 page days. Yeah. But you know, then the next day I'm completely shot. So that's not sustainable. Right. Um, you know, but three pages a day is a very sustainable pace. Um, you know, 900, 1,000 words a day. And if you think about it, you know, an average book is about um, 50,000, 60,000 words is kind of the minimum for, for it to be considered book length. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just say 60,000 words. Um, so you're looking, you know, around 200, 250, 300 double space pages. Um, so let's just say 300 times three and divided by three a day. That means that you can have a book in a hundred days. Now, realistically, you're going to throw out half your words. So let's just say, say 200 days, three pages a day gets you 600 pages written and you throw out half of them. That, so 200 days is you know, significantly less than a year. So that you can have, if you really get on that schedule, you can have a book in less than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've been talking a lot about about the the numbers of this all, and and I'm so I want to because I know you're. This is also something that um, resonates with you. But let's talk about the more mystical aspects of of writing and the muse and that kind of thing. Um, how do you, when you really are in those seven or 8,000 word days and everything is just like awesome, like how do you experience that? Do you have a theory about where it comes from? Do you have a kind of a, do you like candles? Does, you know, what, what do you, do you have any weird habits that you do? Yeah, there's, there's a, once you get into an idea, it, it, it takes, there's an, there's an onboarding process for any book process, uh, writing that and it takes a certain amount of time to get into it, and it, it, it can kind of repel you trying to get into it. But once you're into it, then the idea takes hold in your brain, and you become really obsessed with it. And, 
you need to know, you need to penetrate the depths of this idea. You need to go deeper. You need to understand the deeper layers. It becomes like a murder mystery. You're like, where, like, you know, you're on the trail of an idea and you, you kind of know that you're, you can, you have the clues. Like, where are the bodies buried? Where, where are the clues? Where's mm-hmm. the gun hit? Where's the smoking gun? It becomes very much like a murder mystery to unlock the ideas. And that is very addicting. And when, if you get in that zone, you're, you're in the zone. Um, and it's, it, it becomes kind of, um, it can become kind of manic, you know, and I know about that. I have a history of bipolar and so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm familiar with the ups and downs of, of the creative process that get really exaggerated for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can, you know, you can be, um, you know, just really, really jacked up and manic about these ideas. Um, I don't, I mean, I think a little bit of that is necessary. I don't, I don't, I don't think that mania is a healthy state to be in for very long, but, um, but you gotta, you gotta be at least excited about it. And it takes a certain amount of penetration into the idea before that comes over you. And once it does, it's very, it it does, you're right. It does feel mystical. You don't know, you're having all these ideas. You don't know where they come from. Um, they're just bubbling up from your subconscious. Um, and you're really developing a relationship with your subconscious. Mm-hmm. What do you think gets you into like so? I like this idea that that you that you have to immerse yourself. You have to like dig in, and and then there's a process. But once it happens, what are some things that you do, or some ways that you help yourself get there? Um, <laughs> well, we can divide them by healthy ways and not healthy ways. <laughs> Both, <laughs> ways that a... I would recommend. <laughs> um, like we'll let's get the unhealthy ways out of the way. Um, I mean, I've, uh, well, I'm not going to say unhealthy, but I will say that uh, in the past, you know, I've, I've written publicly, I've been um, quite an explorer of psychedelics and uh, quite an aficionado of marijuana. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, I've, I'm sober, um, and I probably will be for a while, because, you know, as great as those things can be, and I really have had amazing experiences that changed my life from them, uh, what I what I found is that um, it's hard to it's hard to use them in a balanced way. It's like chips, you know. You can't eat one chip, mm-hmm. and you know marijuana is great for creativity, but marijuana has a way of being very seductive about the wonders of using it a little more, mm-hmm. and then having a little more and smoking it again, <laughs> and um, you know same thing with like psychedelics. Like I just got really seduced by the idea that I was like growing and healing and learning all these things. And then at a certain point, it just, I found myself um, totally unmoored and, um, and just not, not centered or grounded in any way um, Mm -hmm. and and using these things all the time. So I'm not going to knock them. I think that people have to make their own decisions about how to relate to these substances. Um, I just will say that, you know, you got to really, Look, be careful about getting sucked into um, to overuse because I thought I was pretty immune to overuse of these things. And I this last summer I I went too far, and that's why I'm um, I'm taking a break now. Um, so you know, related to that also is like going you know like long binges of of not of sleep not sleeping and just getting like totally jacked up on caffeine or mm-hmm. Adderall or whatever it is and 
And, you know, it works. It works. I've, I've written a lot on, in that way. Um, right now, you know, I'm, I'm 38. I'm getting, you know, getting a bit older and I just, my body can't do that anymore. I, I need to find a way to find a muse that doesn't involve like jacking my body up so much. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So those are unhealthy ways. That's good. Those are unhealthy ways. <laughs> um, the, the, the most important healthy way is reading. Like I, I know people, um, I know people who are like, I've, I've heard this before from more than one person. They're like, yeah, I want to write a book, you know, cause I hear that all the time cause I'm a writer. So people come to me with their book ideas. Mm-hmm. I want to write a book. So the first thing I ask is like, well, what books, do you, what books do you like? You know, what, what have you read recently that you're like? And I've heard, you know, this one guy is like, yeah, my life dream is to write a book. And I'm like, oh, awesome. Like, well, what books do you like? He's like, no, I don't read. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Can you imagine a musician, a jazz musician? He's like, yeah, I want to make a jazz album. I love jazz. And, yeah. uh, and you're like, oh, cool. Who are your influences? What do you listen to? And they're like, no, I don't listen to jazz. Yeah. yeah like, jazz it's sucks, the exact yeah. same. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. You, 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 like writing, you learn to write to a large degree. You have to read. You have to be a passionate reader and you have to read in the genre that you want to write. If you want to write serious nonfiction, you've got to read serious nonfiction. If you want to read, if you want to write serious literary fiction, you've got to read serious literary fiction. If you want to write mysteries, you've got to read mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really simple. Now, that doesn't mean you should only read in the genre you want to write, but um, you've got you to read deeply in that. Um, so, so reading is one of the healthy ways. Um, uh, you know, basically, any, anything that gets you exposed to new experiences and new ideas. So travel, but it's got to be travel that it's, it can't be like checklist travel, like you know, going and seeing all the standard tourist attractions and stuff. You gotta, it's gotta be the kind of travel that exposes you to random experiences and new people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so any kind of travel adventure, um, artists for centuries have been drawn to exotic travel, to, uh, tempestuous relationships mm-hmm. that may be in the unhealthy category, but, <laughs> but, um, certainly, you know, pushing your boundaries in, relationships that try like experiencing new a new type of relationship or some some new dimension of your relationship um uh go, you know that uh that can be very helpful um psychotherapy you know there's a lot of writers who are in therapy uh mm-hmm. therapy can be very helpful for exploring your own psyche um and then of course like all the um all the things that just you would generally think of for wellness so um, you know, exercise is really good for creativity. Um, you know, getting fresh air, being in nature is really good for creativity. Uh, cleaning up your diet um, will have your mind much more crisp. Um, cleaning out the your media diet, like not watching, like stopping watching mainstream television, is a, is really good for your creativity because that's mm-hmm. like a creativity killer. Yeah. Um, so what are some of your, what are some of your fears as a writer? My fears are not uh, just having the muse disappear. You know, I, I recently 
um, went through a period, you know, this book writing process, this last one was really challenging for me. I, I went through a period of just feeling like the muse is gone. And, you know, writers and artists for centuries talk about the muse in this kind of quasi-mystical sense of, like, the, what is the muse exactly? But it, it's it's a real thing. Like, you know, it's there's a reason artists talk about it. And, um, and you can't, it's very fickle. You don't know when she's going to be around or not. Oh, by the way, I just want to, that reminded me. Mm-hmm. Um, it said things to spark creativity, to have a real-life muse, in your life. Ah, uh, um, yes. But, you know, right. whatever whatever g- gender it is, typically, um, you know, the, it's, um, I mean, the stereotype is like the male artist or the female muse, but it can be any gender in any direction. Mm-hmm. And um, to have somebody who, like, what is a muse exactly? It's somebody who adds sparkle to your life. You know, an artist, it, it, you know, day-to-day life is about paying bills and make, making deadlines and, handling errands and things like that. The muse is somebody who doesn't exist in that realm. They exist in the realm of charm and magic and sparkle and intrigue and seduction. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so finding somebody, whether you're romantically involved with that person or not, um, who, who um, serves that, who lives in that reality and who, who allows you to enter into that reality is, is, is really valuable and important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then you do actually know if they literally go away, you're like, well, clearly like she left. Like I, <laughs> it's not, I'm not yeah. wondering anymore. Yeah. Like, or, you know, she's here. Great. Okay. You know, it's a little more concrete. Yeah, exactly. Than... Yeah. 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 Um, you were asking about my fears. Um, mm-hmm. the one I don't, I somehow, you know, every every writer, every artist has their strengths and weaknesses. I I was bor- somehow born without the... I don't know if I was born or just the way I was raised or what. I, I don't have the, like, oh, they're going to think I'm weird gene. Um, and in some ways, I have the opposite. Like, I try to expose the parts of myself that I think people will think are strange. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I write on Facebook. I'm really open about all kinds of things about my life on Facebook um, and like mental health struggles and my relationship with substances and Mm -hmm. my sexuality and my kink and all this stuff. And I just, I don't know why I do it exactly. I, I, I think that because I incur a very low cost to do that, I, I don't. I just don't give a shit. I really don't care if people think I'm weird. I don't know why that is. Uh, yeah. I think it's valuable because it doesn't really cost me anything, and it it give, it, it it creates value for other people um, because pe- people for whom it would be very costly to reveal that they're kinky or that they use illegal drugs or they you know have mental health issues and they might lose their job, they feel a little bit less alone in the world they feel a little bit less you know freaky um and i i like being able to contribute um to people in that way yeah i really see how you do that and i and i you do you do it well and it's and i think it is a real service um you know it makes me think having you know seen seen your your posts and and knowing you a little bit um have you considered writing like really weird fiction yeah, well, it might be weird. I, I have written really weird nonfiction. 
uh, I wrote um, uh, my first manuscript was called Rockstar Envy, and it was this kind of like sort of I called it manic nonfiction. It was this very nonlinear um, kind of memoir in fragments about my twenties. I had a very crazy twenties, like I was in you know manic depressive, and I was just having all this very kind of I was very obsessed with sex. I mean, most people are, but I was obsessed mm-hmm. with sex in a, like to an unusual degree and kind of had all these crazy adventures and um and um anyways it was it was really disorganized and crazy and it got rejected 22 times mm-hmm. i'm actually really glad it got rejected um because it, i think i would regret if it was out there published right now mm-hmm. um it was just such a mess uh, so i have written that um I don't know why, but I just, I don't resonate with fiction. Uh, I mean, I respect the, the, the medium and the genre, but I've never read a lot of fiction. I've never, if I, I've tried, you know, in school assignments to write fiction, there's something about the, 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 the task of making up a world. I, I don't, I can't do it. I, to, I capture a world that already exists and capture it in words, but um, making up a world is not my thing. Um, but I do, you know, I, I have been writing like way edgier stuff than my business books on Facebook. I, I'm not sure that's going to translate into a book or not, or it may just stay on Facebook. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think there's an element and what I've noticed of, of just fiction writers and nonfiction writers, there's, there's an element of like introversion that, that, if you're let's say you're creating a world and I could be this there could be many exceptions to this with people but um you know if you're creating a world that's totally weird and wacky you don't live in it like in the physical world like that's in your mind and that's in the story and you live a pretty outlandish life in a way that you know you you don't need the 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 story or the computer to like express that part of you because it's getting pretty expressed in your life already. You know? <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of, I mean, yeah. that's, I, I don't know a lot that, of fiction that, writers. I don't write fiction myself, but you know, yeah, that, I mean, that could be it. Uh, I, um, I mean, of course there are fiction writers who live very extravagant lives, lives also. It's true. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I just, there's a certain, um, conceptual art, concept, a conceptual art aspect to it, where part of what I'm doing is actually trying this crazy shit and then seeing, you know, seeing if I can write about it and, and seeing, so, so there's actually two aspects to it. There's the, the doing of it and then the writing about it. Um, and I like that sort of meld of the, the part of the artistry is the thing that happens. And then the other part of the artistry is capturing it in words, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All right, so I'm going to ask you, that. this is the question that I ask everybody uh, toward the end of the interview. Um, if you could write yourself a note and slip it back through the fabric of time to yourself as a young writer, maybe even maybe like around the time you're writing that first manuscript, and you could just give yourself any advice and you could just tell yourself anything, uh, what would you write in that note? being published doesn't actually change that much about your life. <laughs> so get over your obsession with being published and find something that you enjoy in the writing inherent about the writing. 
and that most of the joy of writing is having your friends read it. I, I think that writing, if it's just going to stay in a, you know, in a desk drawer is not very valuable or exciting, but just having like a few people who you care about it, uh, read it and experience that, the, the inside of your psyche and your soul is most of the joy of it. And, you know, multiplying that by 10,000 or 100,000 actually gets diminishing returns. So don't, even though, of course, you should strive to be published and it's a milestone for any author, don't put so much onto it because you're not, it's, you're, you're projecting all your frustrations onto this thing. Just like other people project all their frustrations onto their lack of owning a Ferrari or their lack of having, you know, of having their, um, you know, their trophy wife or their trophy husband or their their trophy children or whatever it is they think is going to make them happy. Like, you, as a writer, you're doing that towards publishing. You think that it's going to be this magic bullet, and it really isn't. Like, not that much changes. You're still a human with all the human frustrations and problems. So just do it because you love it and not because you think that this is going to be some magic bullet that's going to change everything for you. Mm-hmm. So when's when's this book going to be coming out? Uh, it's coming out in January, and it's called The Last Safe Investment, Spending Now to Increase Your True Wealth Forever. And in my last book, I took on the education millionaires. I took on the education system, which pretty much everyone the higher education system, which pretty much everyone can see is totally failing now on multiple different mm-hmm. levels. And in this book, I took on the investment industry, the personal finance, savings, and retirement industry, which turned out to be a much bigger topic than the education system. And we're talking about, you know, trillions, ten, like possibly, you know, tens or just, you know, enormous, vast quantities of, of wealth is tied up in the system. And it was such a big topic, I uh, brought on a co-author to help me get my head around it. Um, And Brian Franklin, who's my business mentor and a dear friend, um, we had a wonderful collaboration on it, and he um, just contributed enormously to this book. And so we're full co-authors, and Mm -hmm. it's coming out in, in January. Thank you so much for listening. I want to mention a few things since you've stuck around this far. One, Michael is available for consulting and coaching. I was really happy to hear this because he really has a lot to offer. And if you go to ellsberg.com and click on work with Michael one-on-one, you can find out more about that. Darkenthepage.com slash 046 also has all the show notes for this episode, including links to Michael's books and the link I just mentioned to work with him. Thank you again for listening. Thanks to Sarah Werner from the Right Now podcast for her support this last month. And until next week, go make great art.